Welcome to Seizure Salad, Fuster Cluck Epilepticus. A salty, slightly cynical conversation about epilepsy, neurological disorders, and occasional random tangents. Together, we explore the synaptic jolts that short-circuit one's world and the mental and emotional fallout that comes from them. And if that sounds heavy, don't worry. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And now, Seizure Salad with your host and electrostatic meat sack, Micah B-Sai. How you doing, everyone? It's Micah B-Sai, your host and electrostatic meat sack here on Seizure Salad. And today I am joined by Fred Rutman, uh, frequently dead Fred. No, no, no. Um, yeah, it's frequently repeatedly. De- repeatedly dead Fred. I love it. Um, yeah. Repeatedly dead Fred. I'm a I'm a huge fan of alliteration, so I have it in the back of my mind that it's frequently dead Fred. That's that's mm-hmm. on me. Um, Fred has it. Just this is an amazing, an amazing story, and I find it. I just. I'm smiling to the to the point of I just want to chuckle as I'm saying this because you have such a great outlook on it and such a great sense of humor um, approaching this just mind-blowingly, amazingly traumatic uh, part of your life that doesn't sound doesn't sound to me like it's necessarily over. Um, oh, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Fred's literally like this. This isn't this isn't just some loose alliter- uh a loose comparison that that Fred uses for his moniker. This is quite dead on accurate, literal. You have repeatedly been dead and come back. Um, <laughs> you have a book out actually that you've written about this. Uh, called the summer oh. I died twenty times, and yeah, it's was, not quite out yet. Okay, it's not quite out yet. All right, yeah. all right. Just make a note on the wall that you want to keep an eye out for when it does come out. Uh, friends and neighbors out there in seizure land, the family foster clock. That's what I. That's what I like to <laughs> call the folks who are listening. All twelve <laughs> or fifteen of my loyal followers. I don't know. Maybe a few more have joined in the last year or so. Um, but let's get right into the meat of this. I'm very interested to find out how this all began. And I want to know, like, give us the meat of this story. How did this happen? And and give us just the, the details, the timeline here. And, and I want to know how it felt. I mean, this must have been the biggest roller coaster a human being could go on to. So, repeatedly dead, Fred. Welcome to the the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and and yeah, welcome. How did this all Thank happen? You. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, I guess we have to go back to uh, the early summer of two thousand nine, and that's okay. when this all started. And um, I started what the doctors thought was randomly passing out. And every time I would pass out, I would hit my head on whatever was the hardest object in the universe in the vicinity. And like a magnet. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, whether it was a curb or whether it was a steel grater or a manhole or, you know, a cement countertop or anything like that. If it was around, that's where I was going to end up. And I was misdiagnosed for a number of months. And I, I just want to say up front, this isn't a bashing of the medical system. It, it is what it is. And people are people. And um, 
I was a, you know, a really fat middle-aged white guy. So they just kept assuming that I was having a heart attack and they kept testing for the enzymes that, that get thrown off when you have a heart attack. Um, Uh I forget what they're called right now, but they weren't showing up, but you know, after like 15 tests, doctor, you think you might want to move off that spot and try looking for something else. Right. Um, and, and they just wouldn't do it. So, um, I was teaching, um, economics at the time and I just finished a class and I was walking to the, uh, to the bus stop and I had another one of these episodes and, uh, I was just dead in the middle of a pathway in the, on, on campus. And it just happened that a couple of my students wandered by and, uh, and tried to revive me and, uh, they called an ambulance and then they left. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, I thought I was a pretty good instructor, uh, <laughs> but apparently not if they're just leaving me out there to, you know, to whatever. But uh, I ended up in a hospital that was not uh, the hospital of my preference, and I couldn't get out of there. And uh, they decided um, that I had a condition called vasal vagal. So okay, if you're familiar with people who you know freak out when they see blood or somebody else breaks a bone and they faint oh yeah that's um that's basically your entire venous system your veins and your arteries just going you know they they just expand and your blood pressure drops to you know very low and that's why you faint okay so but that usually presents itself in like in your teenage years, not in your mid forties. So, you know, the doctor should have known that wasn't a viable option, but um, they eventually put a Holter monitor on me, which is one of those portable um, ECG machines. And it just records you for, you know, 72 hours or whatever. Uh And uh, so then they told me to leave the hospital. <laughs> so um, you're done. Get out. You know, they weren't going to wait for results. They're just saying, go home. So I had a couple of uh, more episodes uh, while I was in the hospital uh, getting ready to leave. And then I just said, you know, screw you guys. I'm not, I'm not leaving. This is insane. And yeah. uh, so that was a Friday afternoon. They couldn't read the Holter monitor until Tuesday afternoon because of budget cuts. Oh God. So, so then this, uh, this cardiologist comes running into the room and he's like, Holy shit, your heart's been stopping. Like you need a pacemaker. Oh God. Like, geez, you know? And, uh, so they said, you know, we'll schedule one for a couple of days from now. And, uh, okay, fine. Shouldn't I go to the hospital? closer to where I live like no they'll just put you at the back of the line which I now know is not true um oh Oh, god and I had a few more episodes in the hospital while I was waiting and you know these are episodes where you see scenes like this on tv if you're watching 
you know, graze or ER or, you know, and I wake up and I see somebody about to hit me with the paddles. And, you know, there's like 10, 12 people in the room. And, you know, that doesn't happen quickly like it does on TV where everything works out perfectly. They've got every piece of equipment, every medication, every specialist that's supposed to be there is there in like four seconds because I've seen other people get code blue on the ward. Uh And it's like, you know, trickle of people here, a trickle of people there. Like it takes a few minutes. So we know from these experiences, my heart had stopped for three to five minutes. Oh my God. Which is a, a pretty long time. So, you know, you've got a little bit of brain damage from cracking your head on everything, a little bit of brain damage from lack of oxygen and, you know, the PTSD and the anxiety and all that stuff. So eventually they moved me to ICU and bumped my surgery up. And uh, so that was surgery number one, which we think something happened during that surgery that wasn't supposed to happen. Oh, God. So um, so uh, they let me out of the hospital and I, I was just beat up like you wouldn't believe. And um, I see 80 year olds coming out of this, this pacemaker surgery, which is supposed to be a 20, 25 minute adventure. And, uh, you know, they're walking around pretty easily the next day. And I wasn't. And a few years later, I asked my cardiologist, like, was this normal? He says, no, like you've had the shit beat out of you. Like this is totally abnormal. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. You went, you went through a torture garden there. Yeah. And you know, we talked about your neurologist before, like not once did anybody suggest, you know, I get a CT scan or MRI or have a neurologist check me out. They knew I was bashing my head all over the place. So I was just left to, to my own devices to figure out how to recover. Um, I had a therapist and she was off on her own medical adventure. So she wasn't able to, to participate in this joy ride. And so I just started doing what I thought I needed to do to heal myself. And that was, you know, learning and taking courses and getting some exercise And I started to make some progress to where uh, in 2013, I felt ready to go back to work. And uh, then, boom, it happened all over again. Oh, God. So, yeah, you know, the, the losing consciousness, the hitting your head and, you know, just getting bashed up, um, uh, you know, happened while I was riding my bike and. Oh, shit. uh, all sorts of things. So um, no place was safe. Yeah. 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 And Just did you even get like any kind of we get or sometimes you get aura seizures or or onsets that are kind of like warnings, like the big ones mm-hmm. coming. Um, I don't get it per se, but I do know a lot of people do. Um, and they have like anywhere from 30 seconds to like an hour to be able to be like, get me, get me to a safe zone. Did you have any kind of like, Oh shit, this is coming on again. That next, that next year after 2013. Yeah. I probably after the fifth time it happened to me, 
uh, starting in 2009, I had what I describe as brain quakes. And okay. it would be like, I don't know, maybe a second, second and a half. It's hard to tell where you literally felt like your brain was, you know, having an earthquake inside it. And it, now I know what was going on is your blood, your heart stops, your blood pressure goes to zero. There's no oxygen. And it's probably your brain sending out some sort of hail Mary, like, you know, emergency, yeah. emergency. And yeah. uh, that's what I would happen, but it doesn't give you uh, enough time to do anything proactive or reactive to it. Right. I'm thinking about the bicycle and, and it's like one and a half seconds isn't even enough time to finish a rotation on, on the pedals to be able to get your foot down on the ground. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my uh, God. On, on the upside with the bicycle, you know, you end up in a park and you wake <laughs> up looking into, you know, it's nice blue sky and everything. Um, and you know, it's unlikely you're going to get run over by anybody. Yeah. So, um, so after that happened a number of times, uh, you know, back in the hospital and they're trying to figure out what happened and they eventually figure out that the pacemaker leads. So the leads are the wires that run from the pacemaker into your heart. Okay. And, um, for your, um, what are your, what's your audience called? Cluster fuckers? Fuster cluckers? <laughs> I like that. Close, close. Fuster cluckers. The, fus the fuster. family fuster cluck. Um, <laughs> you know, pacemaker is like a little supercomputer about the size of an old pocket watch. And different pacemakers are set up for different conditions. So they put it in just under, above your muscle, and they run the wires of the leads through a vein into your heart. And okay. that will replace the signals that weren't going through anymore. Um, I have a condition called full heart block or third degree heart block. That doesn't sound good. No, <laughs> it, uh, it means the electrical system in my heart is fried. So usually you've got uh, an electrical node that distributes uh, signals through your atria and then to your ventricle to tell them to contract and not contract and push the blood out that system totally died oh shit they don't know why it uh it usually presents itself in you know 70 year old men not 45 year olds so they really it kind of explains why they weren't looking for it yeah and you also can't see it unless you catch it like they finally did on that holter monitor so you know, if I go see a doctor and I'm just getting the traditional electrocardiogram and I'm fine there, they have no clue that this is happening. Right. Right. So, so they finally figured out that one of the leads, um, which are like an electrical cord, except really thin. Um, and they've got, they're coated with insulation cracked. <gasps> and so it was shorting out. Oh God what was happening to me. So that's why my heart kept stopping again. And so they decide, well, we're going to, uh, you know, replace that lead. So this surgery, uh, they changed the procedures. It was in a different hospital and they don't put you to sleep anymore. 
Oh, oh, they, this sounds they fun. Do, they do a little, I guess it's like a lidocaine or novocaine with whatever the dentists use, and they just numb up the area. And they do the procedure while you're awake. Oh. Yeah, I, I wasn't so thrilled with it. And um, then they decide they're going to use a laser scalpel. So you're lying there, and this room is freezing cold because the, the equipment they use runs so hot. It has to be really, really cold. And you're looking at like a, a huge scoreboard in front of you with all your biometrics going. And they start to, to slice me open. And you can smell your flesh burning. Like, it's not Fuck. a pleasant. I'm like, who thinks this is a good idea? <laughs> you know, like, put a fume hood or something or, you know, put a fan behind me or something. Yeah, give me a nose plug at least. Yeah, that would have been great. Um, so Ooh, I'm getting shivers, man. Then they must, I guess when they cut me open, the pacemaker moved or it caused the lead to shift a little. And, and I had one of these brain quakes on the table and I just said, Oh fuck, I'm gone. And oh. then, uh, so it happened again. Oh and, man. But at least I didn't hit my head this time because I was <laughs> lying on the table. Um, I came, I came to about, uh, according to the surgeon's report about, eight to 12 seconds later, because they've got these pacing pads that they put on you, um, which shock you like every two thirds of a second or so. And okay. they don't warn you that if this happens to you, this is going to hurt like fuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like you're oh, getting man. shocked. And in the heart, not just like putting your finger in a socket, you're getting shocked directly on the heart. Yeah, but you feel it in your like it feels like you're getting kicked in the ribs. Ooh. So and you know, you're disoriented when you come out of being dead and everything. And I'm like, you know, guys, you can stop with the CPR. That's what I thought they were doing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm back, and they're like, uh, one of the doctors says, Shut the fuck up, we're trying to save your life. And another <laughs> doctor says, No, keep talking. So we know you're okay. And, and it's just bedlam oh, as shit. crazy as it was the first time when, when they were coming into my um, hospital room and about to hit me with the paddles. This is like, you know, people are just screaming and rushing to find things and they decide they need to put in a temporary pacemaker because um, they have to abort the surgery. So they're like, well, where do we keep them? And, you know, so somebody comes back. So it's, fuck, you know, it's, um, probably a device, you know, maybe this size. Okay. Like about the size of a, a wedding ring box. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe okay. a little bigger. And then it's supposed to have the leads that, that come off. So they bring back the, the pacemaker itself, the temporary pacemaker, but no one brought the lead. Like, where the fuck's the lead? I don't know. It's supposed to come. And it was wow. it was just crazy. So they finally find the lead and they they have to put this into you through your femoral artery. So oh. they have to go make a, an incision in the groin oh. and, and thread it up. So ideally, 
they they would have used some antiseptic and uh, some numbing agent. Mm, mm. Oh God! Uh, so this is going to go there. Not happen. Oh shit! And it was just you know, Bob's your uncle, and uh, <sighs> you know that was that was pretty painful, and uh, so I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. <laughs> And lessons in in surgeries to avoid yeah i because they didn't sterilize me i was at risk for infection so they had to wait seven days for to make sure i had no infection before they tried the surgery again so i was stuck in icu and because they had threaded this uh temporary lead in um they don't know how well it was anchored into my heart so I was essentially told, you know, don't move. Like you cannot move. Like you can roll over a little bit if you have to pee or something, but that's about the extent of it. And I was stuck there for seven days and then they went for surgery number two. Yeah. Ooh. Technically surgery number three, right? Because the, yeah, yeah this is 2. Point, this is 2.2. 2. So this yeah. Is, yeah. Oh my, so, oh my God. So I said to them, okay, this isn't going to happen like the first surgery. Like, you know, uh, I'm getting some protection from the laser scalpel or don't use the laser scalpel or whatever, and give me some extra sedation and, you know, all sorts of things like that. Make sure you have and, fucking leads on the table. Before. <laughs> yeah. So I noticed I started falling asleep during this surgery and oh. kept waking up and falling asleep. And cause it was taking like way too long. And then I finally wake up and the surgeon, and I should say these surgeons are like world-class surgeons. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's on a video chat with somebody because they can't figure out how to thread the lead into my vein into my heart and what they had discovered i learned later is that my veins had collapsed oh fuck which is possibly what caused it to crack in the first place because it had just clamped down on it and so i don't know i never got an explanation of how they finally figured out how to do this how to get it through but um they did it and it worked for a few years. Whew. Wow. And then it didn't. Then it didn't. So oh. I, I guess the same thing that happened in the first surgery happened in the second surgery and the lead cracked again. Again. Did it, did it crack in the same place? I don't know. There, okay. There's no way to know where, unless you can pull them out, which is a whole other crazy surgery that um yeah maybe in my future but i don't know okay uh so 2018 i'm gonna take a quick break here um and talk about intermittent fasting for a second yes yes so uh i met my cardiologist in february of 2018 and i'm in the exam room and he comes in and he literally throws a book at me and he says, buy this, do this. No, buy this, read this, do this. But only after we get 
buy-in from all your other doctors. And the book was called The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And he's probably the, I guess, the godfather of intermittent fasting these days. Uh, he's a nephrologist, kidney specialist um, at the um, Scarborough General Hospital in Toronto. And he was sick and tired of seeing his patients lose kidneys and limbs from type 2 diabetes. And he recognized the benefits of intermittent fasting. He created an intermittent fasting clinic. And he's reversed diabetes for so many patients wow. and prevented them from having all sorts of extreme surgeries for losing kidneys and limbs and, um, you know, retinopathy, not retinopathy, um, when your nerves die and neuropathy and things like that. So it's just been game changing for so many people. So if you've ever had to get doctors to communicate with each other, you know, they're very into, oh, let me write a letter, but I can't just write these four sentences myself. I have to dictate it to my secretary <laughs> who will then write it, who will then send it or fax it or put it on a camel or whatever. Yeah. So, carrier pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it, it took a couple of months to get approval from, from everybody. And I started doing intermittent fasting in April of 2018 and I did it for about three weeks. And then I started, my heart started stopping, if that makes any sense. Again. Again. Oh, yeah. man. So went in for yet another surgery. And uh, this was a different plan. So really? uh, I said to the doctor, I just want to be asleep for this. Like, I don't want to have, if you're going to kill me, I don't want to know about it. Just, you know, <laughs> let me go. But yeah. Um, so the plan was to, to put a full new pacemaker in the right side of my chest and thread it in through different veins uh -huh. and then turn this one off and I'll just go with a new one. Yeah. So which seemed like a sound strategy. Right. Except oh, uh -oh. Um, this being me, they couldn't fully install the new pacemaker. So what? I'm left with the malfunctioning pacemaker that shorts out and half a pacemaker. And which is not a complete fix in any way. So, <laughs> right. Uh, so thankfully I've got a really smart uh, pacemaker doctor and he figured out that he could set it up with the sensors they have that the new pacemaker could sense when the old pacemaker was glitching and it would kick in. So wow. it's not a perfect system. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't sense that things have glitched. So it can take, you know, three, four, five, six seconds, whatever uh -huh. to kick in and you, you feel it, you get a little lightheaded and things of that nature. So um, over the years, they've they fine-tuned it, and it's much better than it was um, a couple of years ago. Uh, I was told at the time, and I don't know if this is like, you know, hospital urgen le legend or whatever, but I was one of eight people in the world that had two simultaneously functioning pacemakers. No shit. 
So really? Wow. Even now, if I see a new doctor uh, or if I have to go to a merge or whatever, and I tell them that I've got, they say, I see you have a pacemaker. And I say, no, I have two pacemakers. Oh, one's dead, right? Well, no, they're both working. No, that's impossible. And they like read my file and they read it and they still don't believe. Oh, so, man. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I, I did a podcast a few weeks ago with um, a cardiac uh, operating room nurse. She's been in the business for 30, 35 years. And she's like, I've never heard of this. So. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's a little crazy. So I'm like so, talking to a human anomaly right now. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, people would say that without the heart problems, but, <laughs> you know, um, we're all, we're all unique. It just, you happen to be that extra unique because of what you've been through and what's mm -hmm. thumping in your chest right now. Yeah. Wow. So that's, uh, that's the initial round of, of cardiac issues that, that I've been through. And, um, I went, I think, in December for a cardiac checkup. And this was the first time I've ever not had any glitches between the two pacemakers because they it records everything. So it's it tells you if you've had, you know, episodes and syncopies or whatever they're called. Uh -huh. um, and there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. So they've wow. got it fine-tuned. Except for the fact that this battery in the original is about to die. Oh, God. So I know oh. within the year, I need to go in for another surgery. And uh, I don't know how this is going to go. I really don't. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So now, which summer was the summer you you went through like multiple was this 2018 or was this earlier the summer i died 20 times yeah that was 2009 but okay, every time okay. it's glitched i've i've also had approximately 20 times before the the next surgery oh my fucking god i i wow i just what you went through that one experience where you're waking up and the doctors are are on a video call trying to figure it out. It's just like, wow, you, they might as well have had a manual in front of them. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, am, am I an English sports car? What's going on here? Yeah. That's, that's just remarkable. Now, what was the name of the, um, the condition you had again that they finally figured out it, venous? Um, well, the one they thought it was initially that it yeah. wasn't, it was uh -huh. called, uh, vasal, V-A-S-A-L, mm -hmm. vagal. That's okay. So it's the vagus nerve, which you might be familiar with, because I think it's intimately involved in your condition as well. Correct. Correct. So, um, so apparently what happens in the vagus nerve doesn't stay in the vagus nerve. <laughs> kind of like Vegas. Yeah. 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 But um, bum That was a good one. I like that. So. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So this man is like, you are the iron man. You are the iron man of, of surgeries, of pacemaker surgeries and survival here. Um, 
I'm just, I'm mind blown. I've stopped breathing a few times um, mm -hmm. during and during seizures and right after seizures when I was in the ER and stuff and during sleep studies, but my heart has never stopped. I've mm -hmm. never completely like perished and come and come back from that. Um, I'm really interested in this intermittent fasting and, and some of the other things you did to um, kind of guide yourself out of possibly and potentially like letting this whole thing destroy you because it sounds to me like you've turned this around and and taken some real nightmarish trauma and turned it into a good thing um but before we go into that mm -hmm. i was um <laughs> ah see i had a small seizure yesterday and my my short-term memory is completely shot i was going to ask you something else um about yeah yes what it felt like dying and coming back um i know that that's got to do some kind of physical damage to the brain mm -hmm. right and but i'm 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 interested in the psychological and emotional toll that it took as well because that couldn't have been easy yeah it's uh it certainly wasn't i mean you know, like your own story, I had my life pretty much ripped from me and I haven't been able to go back to work since 2009. I've, um, so I'm on permanent disability and it's, you know, really hard to pay the bills. Um, and, uh, you know, every time this happens, you're just walking around like, okay, when's my, when's my next episode? Like, when's it going to stop? What am I going to be doing? Am I going to be on the subway platform and fall into a subway, you know? Um, is right. my heart going to start beating again? You know, all those things. Um, so it's full on anxiety running in the background. It's PTSD, uh, post-concussion syndrome. Um, and, and if your listeners aren't familiar with post-concussion syndrome, it's what affects your day-to-day -day living. So, you know, my depth perception was screwed my memory was screwed. My linguistics were screwed. My fine motor skills were screwed. My balance was screwed. Um, you know, I'd be on a subway platform and the platforms have a slight tilt to them. So, uh -huh. you know, for when water or snow comes in and they just drain into the middle track. For me, that would be like I was falling off the edge of a cliff. Ooh. Like out of nowhere. And it's just like, you know, find the find a wall and sit down for 20 minutes till this passes kind right. of thing. Right. Um, so there was all sorts of, you know, very, very unpleasant things in 2009. Um, I'm Jewish. So we pray three times a day and my friends brought me my prayer book and I've been reading Hebrew since I was five. Okay. And I went cool. to read my prayers and I could not read them. It knocked an entire language out of my brain. Holy, f whoa. Um, same with like, you know, I'm an MBA. I'm a double MBA actually in marketing and finance. Uh -huh. I was a college professor. Um, and I can't tell you how much of that was lost and I had to relearn. Oh, man. So, oh, man. On the upside, I didn't have things like a lot of the professional athletes get when they get their concussions is the light and noise sensitivity. And, you know, you're, you're basically, you know, under the covers of your bed 24 yeah. seven. Um, and 
I think we know now that that's totally what you shouldn't be doing. You know, they have to force you to exercise and um, get your brain to recalibrate itself, even though it's a very unpleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and concussions have a lot. Concussions are a very, very familiar um, subject to a lot of uh, the epileptic community because there is there is a huge portion of people with epilepsy that developed it from um, head injuries, TBIs, and uh, repeated concussions. It's one of the first things that I was asked um, when my seizures fully broke through in 2019. The every neurologist I've talked to um, had asked concussions. How, where, when, why have you ever had a concussion? Um, and I've had, I've had plenty, you know, snowboarding. I've had a few snowboarding. I've had a few caving. And there was a couple of auto accidents. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something they, they take into account and they take it very, very seriously. Um, the DeMarcus Ware, I think was his name, the uh, all-pro, um, all-star uh, football player, played for mm -hmm. the Broncos for years. And he was, yeah, he was well-loved here in this community. Um, but I, he developed epilepsy from, and that's how he died, was was from um, SUDEP, they call it, sudden unexpected death from epilepsy. And mm -hmm. you never die directly from epilepsy. That's near sure. impossible, right? But you die from falls. You die mm -hmm. taking a bath or he died in the shower, took a fall, had a seizure, fell in the shower and there was nobody in the house to to be there to check on him uh mm -hmm. in time at least and these are things that we're terrified of you know what would happen what would happen for sure yeah yeah um so concussions you know that's that's a very common thread um with with the community here too so i'm i'm glad to glad to be able to touch upon that with you as well so mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you how bad it was, is if the description so far wasn't bad enough. <laughs> yeah, um, go into detail. <laughs> I finally reconnected with, with my therapist uh -huh. and uh, she's a meticulous note taker. Like, you know, I've got files like, you know, <laughs> she's old school. And right uh, I said to her, what do you remember from a few years ago when we first got back together? And I told you this story. And she said, my mind was blown. And my first thought was, I can't believe you're any degree of functional at all. Like after all this, it's, uh -huh. and yeah, you know, she, she also didn't have a formal plan for me. Uh, you know, as we talked before, there's no formal plans for or roadmaps for coming back from stuff like this. You're kind of, you know, left to your own devices. It's like, uh, people that are very creative in the kitchen and they just throw this spice in and this vegetable there and, you know, whatever, you just throw whatever you can at it and, and hope something sticks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you, you make a really good point here in, in that a lot of, a lot of, um, teams, a lot of practitioners and providers, they tend to have kind of a blueprint for the norm, that majority, you know, 
that majority. And then you have these cases that are just mind-blowing extraordinary and they just don't know you you so blow out the mold that they don't know where to start Mm -hmm. and my situation is nowhere near as crazy as that but i just i'm so far off the norm you know it's like well you can get your partner to do this or you can do this and it's like no i lost my home i lived alone i don't have a life partner Oh, well, um, and then a lot of the neurology team will just fall silent. They just don't, they don't have, uh, I don't have any answers for you. It's like, not everybody is like you, but this is, this is beyond those little mitigating circumstances and life factors that feed into what otherwise would be a fairly standard issue. I'm not the only one who's drug resistant to to seizure conditions, you know. I mean, in that part of it, I'm I'm still within a boundary of definable seen this before. You mm-hmm. on the other hand is a completely different story. Like like your case kind of fell from Mars. <laughs> I guess, yes. I, 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 I was just thinking of David Bowie, man from Mars. And anyway, um, I miss him. I know. I know me too. What a great musician. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, there's a few musicians that have passed um, that I didn't think I would miss so much. You know, he was certainly one of them. Um, you know, we have a local band here called the tragically hip that they were oh. huge in Canada and uh, not so big anywhere else, but the uh, the lead singer writer passed away, and I was I was hit hard. Uh, yeah. Tom Petty when he oh, passed, right? That was so unexpected to me, but apparently he was a heroin addict. So <coughs> I mean, I, I had no idea. I I knew he was a I knew he had fun in the past. I had no mm-hmm. idea he was still having that much fun. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I'm that, I'm, um, I'm a uh, Gen Xer. And so, you know, the Kurt Cobain thing, that was kind of expected. Um, I, uh, I'll tell you though, Chris Cornell, when he went, I just, that broke my heart. That broke my heart. He was, he was definitely my favorite of the whole, uh, Seattle scene there. He was, he, I had a special place for him. I mean, five and a half octave range five six octave range that guy that guy had the voice of voices um for his era that was yeah and his songwriting was amazing yeah but, he was the freddie mercury of, of this generation exactly and what a great analogy what a great comparison you you mm-hmm. hit that spot on most definitely mm-hmm. um you know we were um <laughs> to get back to the topic but you you nailed it <laughs> It's okay. This flows along great with the uh, theme theme of the show because we go off topic a, a hell of a lot. So it, it's totally allowed here. Um, but g- getting back to it, I think we were right at a great um, segue point to something else I wanted to touch on, which is the recovery side of it. You had mentioned something, and this was this the whole lead up to the tangent was my using the analogy of of your case falling from Mars in the eyes of uh, the doctors. Sun. Use it as a weapon when it's said and done. 
all too much. Said it's all too much. Said it's all too much. And if the world breaks your legs, you go and beat it with your crutch. It's all too much. Said it's all too much. Said it's all too much.